Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. Welcome back to the CCF podcast. This session we're going to be covering Acts 2 in our As You Go series. And we're entitling this session, As You Go, Be Filled. So let's begin with the text and let's read through Acts chapter 2, first verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to do verses 41 through 47, the bookends of Acts chapter 2. So here's 2, 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Following these verses, there's a sermon that's given by Peter. Um, and there's some really excellent things that are in there. But for the most part, I'm not going to cover what he says in the sermon today. We're just going to kind of talk about before that sermon is given, what things are like, and after that sermon is given, how the crowd responds. So then at the end of that passage, uh, now Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we have in Acts chapter 2 those verses that come at the beginning and at the end describing uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit and how it gathered a crowd and then how that crowd responded to the words that Peter had to share. And that's essentially uh, Acts chapter 2. So we'll just close out today's session. No, there's a lot more to talk about. And actually, I want to go into just what is Pentecost? And, and kind of what that means, because I think sometimes uh, those of us who were raised in, in, in the church, uh, in Christianity, um, think that Pentecost is like our own unique festival, holiday, time that we remember it. It's, it's referred to sometimes as the birth of the church, and, and I'm not going to dispel any of those things, but the thing is, Pentecost existed before this event. The day of Pentecost is something that was known in uh, Jewish circles. Uh, they would generally refer to it as Shav- Shavuot, um, which was a celebration of the wheat harvest. It's it's a uh, holiday that occurs um, seven weeks after the Passover happens, and it kind of is celebrating uh, the the spring harvest. Um, in springtime, there are there are two harvests in in Israel at, at 
at this point. There's a barley harvest, um, which actually happens uh, right around the time of Passover is when the barley harvest occurs. And then there is a wheat harvest that happens uh, roughly 50 days after Passover, uh, and it's called Pentecost. And they refer to it as Pentecost because that refers to the 50 days that occur after Passover. And so that's kind of where that name came from. It's the celebration of these different harvests. And the thing about Pentecost, the thing about Shavuot, is one of the things that uh, the Israelites do to celebrate this is they remember the time of the giving of the law, the time of the giving of the Torah on on Mount Sinai uh, in Exodus chapter 19 when when Moses um, came down and gave the Ten Commandments and as well as um, other commandments and and gave the law essentially to the people of Israel. Um, the reason those are associated because that's kind of how it works on the calendar that the Pentecost that 50 days after Passover um, in within Exodus that's about the time that they arrive at Mount Sinai and so those those dates correspond and so they really pay attention to and often will will re, read the law that the Ten Commandments the those kind of things um, on this festival of Pentecost, because the thing we see within the text is it already talks about that there's this crowd. Um, and then it proceeds to say, and I didn't read that through because I didn't want to have to pronounce all these uh, areas and regions that I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce the words, but it describes all the different areas, verses 9 through 11, um, of where these people are from. And and the reason that they're in Jerusalem is because they want to be there for, for the holy days and, and for important festivals and things. And so they travel uh, to be in Jerusalem at, at this point in time, at, at this celebration of of the harvest. Um, and, and and so there's there's some interesting things that happen in relation to the the Jewish calendar and the things that have been happening now with the the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and now Pentecost and the apostles um, speaking and, and Peter giving this sermon. Like we see the day that Jesus actually resurrected is is the celebration of first fruits. Uh, which is when the barley harvest happens. And, and barley is kind of the, the poor man's grain. There's more common people that would have barley, whereas the well-off people would be the ones who grew the wheat. And so they would be, you know, th- that harvest would be a bigger deal for them. But the, the barley harvest is a big deal for the, the common man. And so I think it's really cool that, that the day of Jesus' resurrection coincides with the day of first fruits, where they would come to the temple and offer the first fruits of their of their barley harvest, um, and then in addition to offering the first fruits, fruits there's uh, an ask of the the farmers that they would leave their their corners of their fields uncut uh, to be an offering to the to the needy, so that those who um, didn't have their own fields could come and harvest from the farmers' fields and harvest the corners of their fields. And we actually do see this in scripture happening in the book of Ruth, uh, when Ruth is in Boaz's field and she follows up behind the workers. It's because they left, Boaz left his corners uncut. Um, And so Ruth was able to harvest there and and get what she needed to provide for for her mother-in-law and and then you've got that whole beautiful story of, of um, Ruth and the kinsman redeemer and, and all of those cool things that are happening. But back to the Jesus part of it. So Jesus dies on Passover. He's resurrected on first fruits. And, and so in a lot of ways, he's, um, 
he he becomes that first fruit, that offering that is that is given back to God. Uh, just say, God, thank you for the blessings that you've given me. Thank you for um, what you've what you've done for me. And so Jesus becomes kind of the first fruits for us. Uh, not only that, then the the church kind of we've got again fifty days. Pentecost happens. We call that the beginning of the church. Um, this happens on Shavuot, which is uh, a way of giving an offering to the to the people. It, it talks again about you've got the wheat harvest now. You've got again the uncut corners that are given up as an offering. Um, those are the things that are again to be shared with the people. And so we've got an idea of these offerings that are supposed to be given and. And so you've got that whole really cool picture of of the church is meant to also be an offering. Like while Jesus was the first fruit, um, the, the church is also an offering to to God, and and that those are the kind of things that we're supposed to be remembering. And and that puts all kinds of focus on what you know, like what's the purpose of the church? And and I think it's to help the needy and and to remember the uncut corners and and to serve the people that that need it. And, and so you've got all of those pictures and all those cool things coming out. So that's just with the idea of the holidays and the festivals. Um, getting back to the idea of Mount Sinai and that whole thing happening, there's a lot of links to the passages to what's happening at Pentecost and what's going on and what happened on Mount Sinai. And so you've got the story and you've got this uh, wind that comes from heaven and, and it fills up the whole house where they're sitting. And one of the things that's described at Mount Sinai is when God arrives on the mountain and there's there's all of these, uh, just there's this noise that happens, there's a, there's violent winds that occur, there's a cloud that covers the mount, uh, covers Mount Sinai and there's there's thunder and there's lightning and, and then there's there's fire that happens because uh, one of the things that's usually represented uh, that represents God in Scripture is the idea of fire being God's presence. We see the fire shows up when God shows up on Mount Sinai and He even tells them He's going to be uh, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as He's following them during the whole time of the Exodus. So fire represents kind of that presence of God, and so in Acts two we see tongues of fire that separate and come to rest on each of the disciples. And that's the point in time when it talks about them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And and then they're speaking in, in other tongues. So now it's their fire of tongues, and then the speaking comes as other tongues as, as the Spirit enables them. And, and so you've got these images of these fire and, and these tongues that are coming down. And so you've got those parts. And then I turn to the back part of the chapter. Uh, and it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 wedged their number that day. And I think it's so cool that the number 3,000 is used. Um, this doesn't take away from be- that being, you know, like the number that was added. But the, specifically the number 3,000 uh, has a tie to the Mount Sinai story. Because when Moses goes up on the mountain and, and gives the law, when he comes back down, all of the people there are worshiping this golden calf. And what happens is uh, Moses says, you know, like, is there anybody here that's still for God? And, and the people of the tribe of uh, Levi um, show up and say, yeah, we're still, we're still following God. We're still representing that. And so they are um, commanded to, to go through the, the camps and, and, and start killing people um, as punishment for what they were doing. Um, and it says the number that was killed that day was about 3,000. And, and so here, I think in Acts 2, we've got 
um, not only has there been a call to repentance that, that Peter has made as part of his sermon, um, but I think there's also repentance that's happening. There's a redemption that's happening of the golden calf story. Because instead of 3,000 being killed for disobeying God and for worshiping a golden calf, you have 3,000 that are added that, are, um, that participate in a repentance and, and we're added to the number of the disciples. And so you've got uh, a redemption of 3,000 in, in the Acts story. And so we see that repentance carried out for the people of Israel. I, I think it's a really cool kind of poetic thing that is happening here. And again, echoes the, the Mount Sinai story. One of the other things that happens about Sinai and Exodus is when Moses goes up the mountain and into the cloud, it talks about how he is sits with God for, for 40 days and 40 nights um, before, you know, you've got all the whole giving of the law, but he meets and is with God for 40 days and 40 nights. When Jesus is resurrected, he hangs out with the disciples again for 40 days before he before the ascension happens and he and he goes up into heaven and, and so again we've got a number of 40 days represented echoed in in both stories so you've got all these similarities happening and, and i think it's such a cool picture of what god is doing ab- about how he's redeeming um the negative aspect of the sinai story in through the disciples and and in acts 2 and and seeing the this pouring out of the holy spirit and speaking of the pouring out of the holy spirit that's that's the really cool part i think of, of Peter's uh, sermon. Um, he starts off talking about how, what is happening right now, why everybody can hear them in their own languages and, and what it, it means. He says, it, this is the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verse 16, he says, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes and quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even... On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have in Joel then uh, talking about uh, the pouring out of the Spirit and kind of what that's going to look like. And you see that kind of being enacted by the disciples here. And also that the end part, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that kind of brings to what his message is about. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what these things look like. You guys need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And then those who accept it uh, are baptized. About 3,000 are added to their number that day. And then the end, the 42 to 47, talks about how then those 3,000 start following they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They're filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And, and they're all together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see them kind of carrying out that idea of, of the offering that you would do on Shavuot. They care for those that have needs. They take of their own property and possessions, and they give to anyone who had need. They're leaving the, f- the corners of their fields uncut so that those who are needy can also be filled. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. This is the, the people and the disciples. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. One of the great things about this little part of the story 
is that we see them living out and caring and being compassionate and giving to the needy. And it talks about how everybody who's in Israel, who's in Jerusalem, have seen what the disciples and the believers have done. And it says that the favor of all people is, is upon them. That, that the believers here are enjoying the favor of all the people. And, and so we don't have any persecution yet. We've got them doing the right things that they're supposed to be doing, and God is adding to their number daily, and, and all these amazing things are happening. And, and I think this is our like ideal picture of what the church is supposed to be. Not only all these actions that they were doing, but also that the way that they were caring for one another. And because of all those things coming together that people were noticing that these ones were different, that they really do care about us, that they help the needy, that they praise God in, in, in all circumstances, that, that they're just filled with awe at these people, and they start coming to repentance. And I think, so again, this is what it's supposed to look like when the Church of God gets together. And again, there's cool ways that this stuff kind of ties into, uh, I want to get back to that idea of the fire descending, and, and in, in Acts 2, it talks about the fire being part of the Holy Spirit. But again, fire represents God's presence, which the Holy Spirit is definitely an aspect of God's presence. But there's a couple different times when, when we have fire coming down from heaven in Scripture, and especially in relation to kind of the start of something new that's going on. You've got your Mount Sinai Exodus story, and, and the law is given, and there's, there's the fire on the mountain. And then it even talks about, at the very end of Exodus, um, it talks about the fire coming down and consuming the tabernacle that they've constructed, the place where, where God is going to reside. And, and it's, the tabernacle is essentially, you know, God's house that is constructed for him. And then it, it fire consumes it so that none of the priests can get in, so that Moses can't even get in. There's fire consuming the tabernacle after they, after they build it. And the people are filled with awe and wonder and they repent and, and they just can tell, they notice that God has shown up. In Second Chronicles seven, they they dedicate the temple. So this is after they've been they carry the tabernacle around. They establish the nation of Israel. You've got your king David um, who wants to build God a temple, but God says, "Let your son do it." And so Solomon builds him this temple, and they have this whole thing where they give the law and they talk about all that's happened, and and they dedicate the temple. And it says in Second Chronicles 7, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because uh, of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. And again, we see an instance where fire comes down from heaven. It consumes the temple. God's glory fills the temple. And the people notice there's awe and wonder and worship and giving thanks to God, saying he is good, his love endures forever. And then in Acts 2, there's some different things going on. But I think in many ways, this is another instance where there's a consecration of God's holy space. It's just that in Acts 2, instead of God residing in a tent or a temple, God chooses to reside in his people. And so this fire comes down and settles on the people. And, and the cool thing about this is, is those kind of expressions are even mentioned in Exodus, that 
that Israel is to be a holy nation. It is to be the the priesthood that that points everyone to God. That is to be their role. And and we're reminded that uh, that p- the people of God, the people who who follow Christ, are to be a holy nation, a priesthood of all believers. Is the way that that Peter talks about it in First Peter. And here we see this happening, that the fire has come down, it's rested on the disciples, and then they spread that good news, and they spread that fire, and it's poured out on all the people. And so you've got this fire, and you've got the glory of the Lord filling his people, and and so in many ways, this is the next temple, that we've become the temple, that we've become the place where the presence of God dwells and, and, and resides. And the people, when they see this, it talks about how the believers have the favor of all the people, that, that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, that the 3,000 come to repentance because of what they see happening. And God adds daily to the number of the believers, to the number of those being saved. This is what it's supposed to look like when God's people gather together. This is supposed to look like when God's people live out his calling and so the challenge, I think, that comes from this passage is we are still God's temple. We are still the bearers of that same fire that comes from the Holy Spirit. But when when other people see us, when other people see the church today, do they notice the things that we're doing? Do they notice the ways that we care for the poor? Do they notice our fellowship together, our, our unity? Do they notice our being devoted to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship? And are they struck with awe and wonder and repentance and and calling out and recognizing, praising God that he is good, that his love endures forever? Is that what people see in our lives? And And I think if we answer no, then we're not doing this church thing right, that we've missed out and and we've prevented that fire from going. And that, that maybe we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're just filled with something else and we're consumed by something else, not God's presence, but by our own desires, that we're filled with our own thoughts of how we can make ourselves great instead of making Christ great. I think too often when people today are confronted with the church, with Christianity, they're not filled with awe and wonder. They're not filled with good thoughts about how wow, look at those people. They're providing for the needy. They care about one another. They care about us. I think there's a lot of people today when they see the church, and they see hatred, and they see things that are against what Jesus has asked us to do, what Jesus lived out. They don't see Christ in our lives. And I think that's one of the big things that we're missing and why we've fallen short of being in the church of Acts 2. Because we haven't noticed those who have need. We haven't been willing to give of ourselves to help anyone who has a need. We've forgotten to meet together. They don't see unity when the church comes together. They don't see us being together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And because of that, we're not enjoying the favor of the people. And God maybe is not adding to our number daily those who are being saved. God wants us to look like this church. And one of the things we're going to see in, in the rest of the book of Acts is that's not going to come with its own, without its own set of challenges. 
that one of the very next things that starts to happen once the church is starting to look like the way it's supposed to be is that there is persecution and there is people that despise the church. But let's be despised because we're doing the things that Christ has called us to do, not because we're doing things that are against him. Let's be despised because Christ is being made known for the compassion of his people. Let's not be despised because we're too busy chasing after our own forms of glory, our own celebrity, our own power. But let's make sure it's the Holy Spirit. It's God, it's Jesus who shines through so that people can see us and repent and be baptized receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and be added daily to our number. That's what the church is supposed to look. That's what it means for us to be filled.